Welcome to Sweat the Technique. I'm Doug Lamov. This is a podcast from a bunch of veteran educators all about how to apply the lessons we learned from the school building outside of school to parenting, hobbies, and the professional world. We talk a lot on this show about the lessons from teaching as they apply to other walks of life, including the sports field. Today, we get to talk about the lessons of learning in the sports sector apply them to teaching and maybe to some other walks of life. So my guests today are Luke Romer, who's a teacher and basketball coach and who is the host of the Cutting Edge Coaching podcast, one of my personal favorites, and Darren Lewis, who runs Codex Analysis. It's a consultancy for performance analysts in the world of sport. Darren's a former rugby player, but his consultancy works in a variety of sports. So gents, it's good to be with you both today. Thanks for having me on, Doug. Yeah, same here. Thanks for having us, Doug. Yeah, good to have you guys on. So Luke, Darren, you guys both use video and reflect in your work more broadly on the uses of video, but in actually very different settings. Luke, you work primarily with younger athletes. Your team is a seventh grade team that you coach currently? Yeah, a range of like 13 to 15 year olds. Yeah, eighth grade, some seventh, some ninth grade in that range. Fantastic. Darren, you work mostly with professional athletes. Interestingly, with the three of us have talked a bit. I know that each of you would probably say there's more in common than different between those two settings. But for starters, Would you both just introduce yourselves? And if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about where you work, how you got interested in video as a teaching tool. And Darren, maybe you can kick us off. Yeah, sure. I think my interest in working within sport came from playing. So my playing days ended rather abruptly and and I was desperate to stay involved with sport. So anyway, to stay involved with the team was something I was willing to do. So I ended up sort of tripping into the world of performance analysis. I've worked as a performance analyst for 15, 16 years. And probably my interest in video as a teaching tool was kind of only really developed over the last four or five years. It's something I probably didn't pay enough attention to at the start of my career. But reflecting back now, there's a lot of valuable things that I've learned. Brilliant. And we'll be unpacking some of the things that you've learned. Luke, you want to tell us a little bit about how you got interested in video and a little bit about more about where you work? So I teach eighth grade English, coach eighth grade basketball, have coached teams over the past six or so years, anywhere from the fourth through the ninth grade level. And yeah, how I got interested in using video, I think a couple of things. One, you know, as an athlete growing up, it was something that became more common as I was growing up. Like through high school, coaches attempting to use film. I love sport, love watching it. I think I always kind of watched the game a little bit differently when it came to sport, not just watching as a fan, but trying to watch as a student and not just watching like the ball, but watching the other things that were happening. So I think that was maybe part of it just growing up in my experience as an athlete. But then, yeah, I decided to go into education, doing my internship, started coaching, realized, ah, dang it, I really like this. I know I need to be doing this because I played multiple sports all through high school growing up. And again, wasn't the best athlete, but the way that I contributed was probably more so with my mind than my physical prowess because I'm all of 5'8 and not very fast. But then as I got into coaching, a couple things. One, I just saw that it was needed to show, especially young athletes, what's happening at a slower pace or to show them things that are happening that they didn't realize were happening. And then two, I was exposed to an organization called PGC Basketball that uses film really well to teach the game of basketball. I think that just inspired me to use it well. They do an amazing job of taking concepts and principles and showing them in film, breaking them down, and then implementing those in the court. And I just wanted to do that well in my coaching as well, and then started to use it with kids as young as fourth and fifth graders. And a few things, one, they loved it. And two, I was consistently impressed by 
the impact I felt it had on their performance and practices and then eventually in competition. Yeah, fascinating. So, I mean, you talked a little bit about slowing the game down and helping athletes see things that they wouldn't ordinarily see. I think it kind of anticipates in some ways my first question, which I'd love to ask you both to talk a little bit about why you think video has so much potential as a teaching tool. I mean, it, it does seem like video is everywhere now. Just using it is different from using it with intentionality about actually these are the things that it can do for us that are so powerful. And one obvious benefit is it lets athletes be learning when they are not on the court or on the field. But I'd love to hear you guys talk more specifically about its power. What does it allow players to do that we couldn't do if we were just able to get them more time? on the field or on the court? What's special about video? The power of video is about being able to look at things in a relaxed state, which isn't in competition. So we've got this ability to play, pause, slow motion, unpack, discuss, all with potentially resting heartbeats instead of in the heat of performance. So we actually get to have far more meaningful conversations about what we're looking at, make sure that we're aligned with our thoughts. And, you know, again, the word principles has popped up already, which is brilliant because that's an easy thing to skip over. But it really just gives us that ability to layer in additional conversations and, and coach again. Something that I think is happening more and more is we're coaching more from behind laptops than we are on the court, on the field. And it's becoming common practice through, you know, organizations and sports teams through different age grades and all the way through to sort of senior professional sport. So it's hard to coach everyone in a session in the moment. So it actually just gives us that ability to have additional coaching and moments with with players would be my two picks if I had to pick. Love that. So a different emotional state, a more steady, more learning oriented and emotional state and the ability to sort of take a moment and freeze it and study everybody in a given moment equitably. You could argue my son was a center back playing football, soccer growing up. And I was always struck by how asymmetrical the coaching was, and how much of the coaching that coaches did live was the players who were on the ball. The players who were in the midfield got so much of the feedback. You know, a coach once said to me, the great majority of coaches spend the great majority of their time on the offensive side of the ball. And there are so many players who they come to our practices and they come to our trainings, but I'm not sure they get the same amount of coaching, you know, just by virtue of position or maybe disposition. I'm wondering if uh, maybe one thing that you're pointing out about video, Darren, is the ability to sort of reach a more complete range of our athletes. Yeah, totally. And and I think that, again, you know, this ability to watch in a relaxed state where the emotion is different is super powerful, but also that what you just referenced, the ability to reach more people is also a watch out for people who are working with film because you can watch a 10, 20 second clip of action and see something different every single time. So that is, you know, it's one of the greatest powers of video, but it's also one of the biggest watchouts because you could quite easily spill over the edges into things that aren't necessarily part of your principles, game model, any kind of term that you're looking for. And then that starts to bleed out and, and dilute your message. So the greatest power could also be its, its greatest weakness. As an analyst, I've spent years creating micro chunks of video of a, of a player in action. And it's only been, like I say, the last four or five years where I realized I'm actually limiting what people are potentially seeing. So from an 80-minute game of, of rugby, people are potentially only dialing into two and a half, three minutes worth of action. They're missing everything else. But the work that people do off the ball in so many team sports quite often contributes to what people are able to do on it. Mm, I'm just going to take that phrase off the ball and throw it to you, Luke, because we were just talking about this very concept yesterday. You can take that phrase or you can go in a different direction. But what are the particular benefits of video for you? I'll start there with talking about off the ball or helping athletes see what's happening away from the ball. A couple ways that I love to do that in basketball. One, I love to use film to show my teams what someone off the ball, how it impacts the defense 
offense when we're on offense and how it creates opportunities for their teammates. So an example I shared yesterday when Doug and I were running a workshop is I showed my team a clip of us in transition and transition offense. And we got a beautiful shot. We call it a seven. It's a shot we want every time in rhythm, in range with room, a three-pointer. The kid knocks it down. It's beautiful. We got the ball, transition quickly, passes it to him. He hits it. I showed my team this clip two or three times. And the second, third time I said, hey, I want you to watch, not the ball, watch away from the ball. And I want you to try to figure out why does Jevin get this open shot? What leads to it? What was the cause for him being so open in transition here? And so we watched it a couple of times and their hands shoot up and they start listing off answers. And a couple of them are like, okay, yeah, maybe that's part of it. Yeah, he runs hard for sure, but that's kind of a given. We need to do that every time. What else led to this open shot? Three or four answers, none of them get it. I said, okay, watch it one more time and now watch Tay. Watch what Tay does on the other side of the court. And we watched it again and, and they're all watching Tay. And then they realize that they got it. One says, oh man, Tay sprinted really hard. I said, yes, the reason Jevin was open is because Tay ran so hard and he just drew a defender out towards his side, which freed up Jevin on the other side for this open shot. The whole reason that we got this open shot is because someone on the other side sprinted hard. They never got the ball. It doesn't show up in the stat sheet. No one even realizes this, but that's the reason we got that shot. And I think film is such an amazing tool to be able to show your team that. And I, I would say then on the other side of the ball, defensively, one of the things we look at constantly is our position defensively when we're not guarding the ball. So one of the biggest things for young basketball players, and this is not just basketball because I played other sports, watching other sports know is where are you position defensively when you're not guarding the ball. And so we talk a lot about playing help defense. I mean, the, essentially the further away your man is from the basketball, the further away you can be from your man, right? And you have to be in a position ready to help a teammate if they get beat. And so we spend a lot of time, especially at the beginning of the year, looking at defensive possessions and trying to figure, okay, why did we get beat here? Who should be in a different position? Where should they be? Or when we got it really well, hey, let's watch this clip of our defensive position here. And let's figure out why do we get this steal? Why were we able to take this charge? Why did we get this stop? And then looking at this positioning of our players that are not guarding the ball. Interesting. One of the things I hear you saying is that we can cause players to see part of the game that they don't ordinarily see and maybe develop their eyes so that they learn to look for and understand what they're seeing in other places on the court. And so actually when they're playing, they would be more perceptive. As you were telling that story, I actually was thinking about a story you told me about teaching shot selection. Because one thing you did, I think when you were teaching shot selection was you wanted players to think about whether the shots that they took were smart shots. And so you would show them video of them taking a shot, but cut it before the ball hit the rim so that they wouldn't be distracted by whether the ball went in or not. And I just thought that was fascinating. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about the potential of video also to like focus attention on the most important things or eliminate attention from distractions. Yeah, especially with younger athletes and not just younger athletes. I'm sure, Darren, you could speak to this working with pro athletes. I'm sure it's hard for them too. It's hard for all of us, whatever walk of life we're in, but it's really hard to separate my decision from the outcome. So it's like, hey, I might've made a great decision, but the outcome was poor. This happens all the time in sport. I took a good shot. I just missed it. Or on the other side, I took a bad shot and I made it. And those are the ones that I really want to eliminate from our style of play of like this kid throws up a bad shot and it goes in and they think, oh, that was awesome. I'm really good. I should keep shooting these shots. It's like, no, the statistics say you should not. And we want to win here. Like we got to eliminate some of these things. And so, yes, I would show them clips of shots and we would rate the quality of the shot 
on this shot selection scale that I, again, I stole this from PGC basketball and have used it with multiple teams rating the quality of the shot. And when I showed them this film clip, show it multiple times, but then yeah, I would cut the film clip before the ball either made it or missed, right? So they had no idea whether or not the ball went in the hoop or not, but I just wanted us to evaluate when the ball left their hands. Was this a good shot or a bad shot? Was this a shot we wanted to get or is this a shot we need to eliminate? And especially with young athletes, many of them just really struggle to understand this, but it's unbelievable how much our style of play and how much better we get when they start to grasp this. This was especially this last year, I ended up having to coach two teams, an eighth grade team, and a seventh grade team. And it took a while for the seventh grade team to grasp it. But once they did, we started winning and being competitive in every single game. The games that we weren't competitive in, our shot selection was atrocious. At the beginning of the year, we had to look at a bunch of clips and say, guys, like we got to rate these on our scale. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay. We get, we're taking threes and fives right now. It's like, we've got to get to sevens and nines. And, and there's other things we didn't practice to emphasize it, but the film was a key piece of that. And I, cause I don't want them to be attached to the outcome of the shot. I just want us to take a great shot. If it, if it misses, I'm going to tell you it was a great shot. If it goes in, I'm going to say, yes, keep shooting it. Right. I want them to keep shooting it. Even if they miss a good one, I can't tell you how many times in practice or a game this last season, I had to look at it and say, you better keep shooting that shot. I know you missed it, but that's the one we want to take. You better keep shooting it. And I think film was a really practical way. It was like, hey, we're not attached to the outcome here. And let's watch and learn what we're going for, what we're trying to get offensively every time. Yeah, I think this is fascinating, right? Every decision starts with a perception. We can only make decisions based on where we put our attention. So I hear a lot of talk about shaping players' attention. Darren, I'm wondering what you're thinking about while Luke's telling that story. And if that makes you want to tell any stories or, or share some experiences. Professional athletes, in my experience, definitely hang on outcomes. I guess it's different sorts of pressures for those kinds of people. And I just think that, again, how we use video from a coaching perspective has to be super, super skillful. Cutting the film at a certain point is definitely something I'm going to take and, and try in the future. I think that's a really, really good approach. Yeah, I think in a world where everyone is assessed, we do worry about the outcome. So we have to draw ourselves back. Yeah, Darren, you've actually alluded to something that I didn't anticipate that we would talk about in a good way on this call, which is you talked about how important video was because it allowed you to study your performance potentially in a more relaxed state. And you talked about the pressure of being a professional athlete and being therefore very outcomes based. I think a lot of what you're talking about is intentionally shaping the psychological environment when you're watching video. And I think this is interesting because there's so much we can do with video now. Suddenly, video of a technological sophistication that would have been well beyond even the most advanced team is like now suddenly available to every youth team. It's in my pocket. It's on my iPhone. Like that's a great thing, but it's also a huge distraction because it makes me think that video analysis is about the cutting of the video or the highlights that I put on it. And I hear you saying that it's actually as much about A, what's happening to the athletes while they're watching, but especially even like the psychological state in which they're watching. I'm wondering if you could just share any thoughts about about things that you do or encourage the teams that you work with to do to shape the vibe in the room, which be you know, either individually or a group to create the optimal psychological state for learning when you're studying video, especially maybe with elite athletes who are, there's just more pressure. One of the coaches I worked with at Gloucester Rugby Club, Dom, he's a really good guy, brilliant coach, really young coach. We tried to split the way we worked with film between big brushstrokes working with the team and diving into the detail with an individual. So. When we got into a team environment, it was very big brushstrokes across the principles that we were trying to present and deliver messages on. So we would never get too granular on the things we were saying. It was all about the action, not the person, the principle, not the person performing it. The game model. Yeah, the game model, not the person 
performing that action at that time. Is it fair to say another way of putting that is like what we're trying to do as opposed to like picking apart the flaws that caused us to not be able to execute in a specific case? Yeah, exactly. It's talking about the event in a sort of third person way. A really small thing he did really well was if there was a clip that wasn't necessarily, uh, or a video example that wasn't necessarily a positive one that was something we felt we had to discuss, we'd always warn the player before. And it sounds really, really small, but just to give that player a heads up, we're going to show this, here's why, we're going to link it into something that's this bigger picture. And then the work that he and I would have done, or you know, him especially would have done with the players on an individual basis, would have been a lot more detailed in approach and a lot more sort of conversational about things that happened. But at a team level, it was always kind of big picture, holistic stuff. But something as small as giving a player a heads up that something's going to be shown makes a massive difference because I think you walk into a video room as a pro athlete and your anxiety raises a little bit. Am am I going to get shown here? Is something going to, is this going to affect my selection this week? And that's where all this pressure comes in, which detracts from the power of video to be effective tool. It's fascinating. As you're telling that story, I'm actually thinking, I have in the can here at Doug Lamov Studios, a video of actually both of you guys showing video to athletes. And actually, like I show it to people all the time because I think it's exemplary. If you're open to it, I'd love to show you video of yourselves using video with athletes. We'll just show a minute or two of it. People on the podcast won't be able to see it, but I'll basically describe it. I think you'll get a sense for it just from hearing it. And I'd love to ask you to reflect on what you observe about either what you're trying to do, what you see yourself doing, what you set out to do, and then maybe the other of you can jump in and uh, anything else you see in each of the videos. Okay, so first this is Darren, and I'll just give a little bit of context as the video is queuing up here. Darren, this is you working with a professional athlete. You can say more about who it is, or if you want to, I'll leave that to you. But it's a one-on-one session. It's a Zoom session. And you're showing him video of his own team practicing and you want to get him to understand some technical details about the mall in particular in a mall for those people who aren't rugby fans in a mall individual player has the ball there's groups of players for each team around them and they're basically trying to push this player in the positive direction down the field and there's a technical detail that you notice about players entering the mall with linking their arms and therefore giving up some of their leverage and so you're showing this video to the player and you want him to sort of recognize and discover A, this technical detail, and B, the importance of it. So here we go, we're gonna play it. The stuff I wanna talk around is how we actually enter into the mall mm-hmm. from a deep perspective. So if you watch some of these clips through, but if I just start slowing this down here as the ball hits the floor, what do you notice about the first two guys? Can you see that? Yeah, they're pretty high, no? Yeah, 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 definitely height. So height's always, Height and attitude are the, are the two probably pillars of Maldi. If I slow this down and watch for you, just watch their inside arms. Can you see that there? Yeah, they're binding on it on, on the other player. So they're binding on the other player, okay? So let's just watch what happens when, when we bind on. So when we bind on, as the mall's coming down and we bind on here, mm-hmm. what we actually lose is our inside shoulder. Mm-hmm. So if the mall starts to spin away from us, what happens if we don't have our inside shoulder? We can't transfer any power through. Can't transfer power. And we actually get spun around with the wall. Yeah. So what happens is when we start working on our pillar and posts calls, which teams will have against us, mm-hmm. we'll be very easy to spin out of malls. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Then we have to recycle all the way back and then... Exactly that. So let's just watch a few of these through. So here we go. So that mall there... So Sean and Sam are bound together and watch as I think it's you in the red scrum hat there start going to your right. Yeah. They're, they're gone. Now they are gone. Yeah. So as soon as that starts to spin and we get lost because we're bound and it's then yeah. really hard 
to almost slip your bind and come back through in a square position. And that's when we get caught around the side. So what kinds of things and, and principles would you have worked around? What I remember, you basically almost like, if I'm breaking the binds, I'm kind of like, almost like putting my, my hands together, breaking through with my shoulders and kind of like opening it up. I'm going to pause the video there. It keeps on going. It's fascinating. And maybe I'll just make a couple of like small observations to set you up. You can go in this direction or you can go in a different direction, Darren. But one of the same things that strikes me there is how little video you showed. So this athlete, right, this is probably about 10 seconds of video that you're showing him and re-showing him on a loop and like showing him little pieces of it in like super slow-mo, almost toggling it back and forth. And even though he's a professional athlete, the first time you ask him, what do you notice here about your technique? He actually doesn't see the thing that you want him to notice. You guide him to look at it. And then suddenly it shifts from you talking to like how much talking he's doing about details of the technique and how he could apply this and why this is important to him. So those are a couple of things that you might talk about or anything else that you notice there what do you see seeing yourself and then i'll throw it over to luke to talk about what he sees and watching you i actually enjoyed listening to that back i didn't think i would but i did i'm so glad <laughs> because i remember the energy that jeremy the person i was working with ended up putting into it the first thing that i can reflect back on is and i think this is something as a, as a principle i've tried to work to over the last few years is telling the person what we're going to talk about on the front end. Let's make it really clear what we're going to talk about and not leave anything to guesswork or in that mall, which is a pile of enormous bodies. There's a lot of stuff happening that might not look it, but it's incredibly technical. So I wanted him to focus on some really specific stuff. And then I think, again, something I've tried to practice and I'm still continuing to develop is this concept of helping people trip over the answer themselves. That's a beautiful phrase. And then people are surprised what they already know. So I can't take any credit for that. That's from a book called The Power of Moments, Chip Heath. A fantastic book. But that phrase has just stuck with me about what types of questions can you ask so that people stumble over the truth in the book sense and have a light bulb moment. And it's just guiding them to that place. And then he kind of recognized that, oh, I've done something like this before. Oh, this is going to fit here. Oh, we've worked on this. And then it just snowballs really quick. Yeah, it's fascinating. I just was thinking about, I'm just struck by how hard Jeremy is thinking. And so much connecting the new things that you're sharing with him to things he already knows, which I think a cognitive scientist would say, you know, connecting new things to things that are already in your knowledge and your long-term memory is the way to remember them. Compared to, you know, a session that a colleague who visited an elite football team described me where the manager stood at the back of the room and showed 20 clips to players and they didn't say a thing the whole time. Or he's like, see this, see this, see this, get it, go do it, right? We don't control our own memories. We can't cause ourselves to remember what's in the clip unless we remember what we think about. I'm just struck by how hard Jeremy is thinking in this video. I think it's really easy for, for people to sit in front of video feedback and say, oh, you know, I was thinking this at the time where I was thinking this. I think that's a habit people fall into or when this happened at breakneck speed, I was thinking this. And again, I don't think that's a reality. I think it's part of the watchouts of using film. What we were talking about this specific instance couldn't have been a two second event. And he had to perform an action under high physical stress, high pressure in that specific time. And that's why there was so little film there. And again, this links to the power of film is that we can group these things together so we can pull out these themes really, really quick. So we tell a story, which is potentially over the span of a game in really short moments that helps to kind of build a picture really quickly with people. That's beautiful. Luke, anything you're noticing as you're watching Darren work with Jeremy there? Yeah, a couple of things. One, it's obvious that Darren has prepared for the session, that it's not just 
we're going to roll it and whatever Darren notices, he's going to try to help this person notice. There's some thought and planning ahead of time. Also, this kind of goes without saying, but the domain knowledge that Darren possesses about rugby is important. And for whichever coach using film in your sport, it's important that you have this knowledge of the sport, these different aspects of the sport, the principles of play, because the goal is to help our players get better and improve. And, you know, it becomes very obvious to me working with younger players, how many of them just lack some basic knowledge about the game. That might be what things are called. I call it like court geography, spacing of the court, how it's divided up, how coaches commonly refer to it. Like some of those things are just super important to make sure that our athletes know too. And then obviously we need to know them and, and help them learn those. I think film can be a piece of that. And so fascinating to see Darren's just domain knowledge coming out because he's seen a lot in that clip that I'm not seeing because I don't know the sport like he knows the sport. And then kind of to follow up on that, one of the my favorite parts of the clip is that Darren says, I think he says, what do you notice about blank? Or I want you to watch blank when he wants the athlete to pay attention to a specific part of the video. And I've just found that that's really effective. And he doesn't actually do it the first time. It's after they've watched it, talked about it, he rolls it back and then says, hey, watch for this now. I found that to be really effective as well. Oftentimes they miss it the first time or two. And just to go back and say, let's watch it again and now pay attention to blank can be really powerful and effective because it, it just narrows their focus. And we want them to, like Darren said, we want them to trip over that truth, but sometimes we just need to point them in that direction. I think that's fascinating. You know, there's so many things happening in a video. There are 15 different stories you can watch in any video. So the idea of shaping players' attention, especially if we're watching as a group, because we want them all to be watching. You know, if it's a group of players and we're talking about how we want to shape our bodies in the mall, right? We all want to be paying attention to the same thing. But we want to direct people's attention to it without giving away the answer and telling them, like, watch how the arms are connected or not connected in the mall. Like just telling people what to watch. I think it's such a subtle but important aspect of video use. It's kind of what you described when you were talking about, you know, they watch the video where Tay makes the run down the wing to create the space 15 times and never noticed it until you said, watch for this, and suddenly it's a new world. One of the things you mentioned that I think is interesting and is a perfect segue to what we're about to do next, Luke, which is watch a video of you, was you talked about the importance of background knowledge. And I think there's you know just a ton of research around this, which is like, you see more when you understand more. And so part of what we're trying to do when we show video to athletes is to help them understand concepts. And I think the most important part of background knowledge is vocabulary. And it's one of the things that jumps out at me in this clip of you working with your player. It's a group of about maybe 10 or 12 players here. Your court side, interestingly, is a, there's a practice going on about 10 feet away. Luke's rolled over a video screen and he's trying to teach his players the game model of the double gap offense. He wants them to be able to understand what they're trying to do and to be able to talk to each other about it. So we'll do the same game here. I'll show it to you, Luke. You can reflect on what you're seeing here. And then Darren, you can weigh in a little bit on things that you saw that thought were interesting as well. Here we go. We're going to watch each clip three times. The first time, just watch it. Here's what I want you watching for. Look at me right now. This is what you're watching for. I'll wait till I've got everyone's eyes here. You are watching for double gaps. When do they create a double gap? First time, just watch it. Second time, I'm going to pause it, teach you some things. The third time, we'll look at it again, and I'll ask you some questions. Here we go. Looking for double gaps. Okay, we're going to watch it again. Boom. Just want to point out here that there's a frozen image here. So in the middle of the video, the second time through, it's frozen so that the players can look at how their spacing was in this key moment. Rolling the video again here. What kind of cut should this guy go on right now, Tommy? 
pause screen here. So they're looking at a still screen from about two or three seconds later. So now Luke's asking about one of the players and what he should do. A nail cut, exactly. So he passed it to 25. He's going on a nail cut all the way to the corner. And now 25 has a double gap. Kios, this is his first gap. Gap one and gap two. So now he's going to attack the double gap with his dribble. Just want to chime in here and just say, so Luke played the video for about two seconds to another pause point, and now it's paused again, and they're analyzing what's still on the screen. So he attacks the double gap. He does not have an advantage. So if you don't have an advantage on your dribble, you should move the ball and create a double gap for a teammate. Our rule is you fill which corner, Tommy? This spacing is pretty good on the backside. Boom, he drives, he throws this pass. What kind of cut should he go on now, Kamoa? A shallow cut. So watch, he passes, shallow cut, just like Kamoa said. Look what happens. This is a great drive. That's why we're trying to create double gaps. I'm going to pause it there because there's so much to talk about already. Two just tiny things I want to throw at you, Luke, in case you want to talk about them. One is that you showed that video three times, three different times to players, which I think is interesting. And you spent about three quarters, maybe more, of the time you spent studying video actually looking at still screens. The video was not actually moving for the great majority of the time that you're studying it. Yeah, I'll start there. I think I alluded to or you talked about it earlier, and Darren mentioned it too. You know, video is really dense. There's a lot happening in it. And with this, it's brand new for them. The concept is new. It's really this, when I watch a basketball game, I can see the gaps. I can see when a double gap has been created, and I want them to see it too. And so for them to see it, I just really felt like I, I needed to slow it down and pause it at some points. And later on in the session, I actually had kids come up to the screen. Like, can they identify where this double gap is? And a double gap is just two gaps of space put together, right? If you're not a basketball person. We, we were just trying to create a large amount of space for one of our players to try to attack with the dribble to engage defenders, right? So I wanted them to see that. And like you said too, three quarters of the time, the clip is paused and I want them to see at those specific moments what it looks like. Okay, when this pass is made, where is the gap? What does this guy do after this pass is made? And then at the end there, right, pausing it to show this is the outcome that we're looking for too here. We're doing this to get to this place where we've caused the defense to collapse and commit to one person and create space for others. Elite athletes talk all the time about like when they're at the pro level and suddenly they know they belong. They say, suddenly the game slowed down for me. You keep on saying, I'm trying to slow the game down for them so that they see and understand what's happening around them and then they can speed it up. But I think there's this sort of connection to slowing the game down, understanding what's happening that translates to what experts say about their own performance. Yeah, I would agree. And I think a couple other reflections I had as I was watching it back again, was I thought they were solid. There was a few places where I could have maybe cleaned them up is the means of participation and how I was asking the athletes that were watching this with me to engage. So how I was asking them to respond to questions. I did a lot of cold calling there where I would just call on an athlete randomly. One of the things that I would change if I was to do it again is there was a couple of times I asked some rhetorical questions or kind of leading questions where the answer was obvious by how I asked it. I would try to eliminate those and either ask a better question or just tell them at that point. Instead of asking the rhetorical question, just say, this is what's happening here or ask a better question that actually causes them to think because I kind of tipped the question to them a little bit by the way that I asked it. And my pace was really fast. And as I watched this with some other coaches a previous time, there were some people that said the pace was really fast. I don't know if they had enough time to think about their answers. 
And then there's another coach that said, I think your pace was really good because of how chaotic your environment was. Meaning like there was a lot of things that were distracting the environment. There's literally kids behind the TV practicing on the court behind us. It was just what we had to do. And so it's just interesting to reflect on how you used it. And actually when Darren was talking about the power of moments earlier, that book, I recently finished reading it a few months ago. Fantastic book, would highly recommend it. But he talked about tripping over the truth. And the thing that I was thinking about actually is there's a quote, I think in that section, Darren, where the author says, action leads to insight more often than insight leads to action. That we often wait for insight and then we think we'll take action. But the truth is we just need to take the action And then we have the insight when we reflect on that action that we took. And I would say as just an encouragement to coaches who maybe haven't used film or maybe don't feel like they've used it effectively, like take the action, start using it in small doses and the insights will come, like reflect on it, even video yourself doing it. Again, like the film doesn't lie. That's one of the reasons I love to watch it too, is you can't really argue with the film of the game, but then also the film of you doing the film. It's like, okay, this wasn't effective, right? So I love that. And then the last thing I would say, part of the reason I'm such a big believer in it is I've installed the same offensive system with different teams. You know, one team We just went straight to the court and we attempted to install it. But since that team and team since then, I always start with the film and I teach them these concepts of these principles on film. And then we go to the court and the learning curve is just way faster when I've started with film. Like it was, it blew my mind. It was like, we took 20 minutes to watch film of this concept or installing this system and we got it down in a couple days. Whereas when I didn't do film, it took us a couple of weeks to become just okay at it. And so I just felt like it accelerated the team's adoption of a style of play or, or concept or principles when I started on film with it and then was able to go work on it on the court as soon as possible. That's great. Darren, anything you were noticing while you were watching Luke, just to close us out here? Yeah, just to follow up with that, I think that concept of visualizing what success looks like is so important. Professional athletes are always looking for what can I do better? What can I improve on? But I think there's something to be said for for showing positive actions and behaviors. And and again, having people chase after that. A couple of things that I'd written down here were Luke wasn't prepared to start until he had everyone's eyes. So right at the start of the video, he was ensuring everyone was as focused as they can be in the environment they were in. And then he got into the detail of his film. I love the explicitness behind, I'm going to show it three times. Here's what's going to happen. So I'm preparing you for what I'm, I'm about to do. And then something I wanted to ask Luke was, Have you always used that sort of habit or technique of using the players' names as you're providing feedback? Tommy, we saw this or, you know, that kind of engagement process. I think that's a brilliant thing to practice. I use names a lot in my coaching and in my classroom. Nothing gets someone's attention like hearing their name. I mean, it's just the most surefire way to get someone's attention is to use their name. Also, I try to cold call or call on guys randomly. And I don't know if I did it in that clip or in that session. I don't remember, to be honest, but oftentimes I'll say to, hey, just be ready. I'm going to call on people randomly. So be ready with an answer because I want them all engaged. I want them all thinking. And I believe they all have things to share, right? They're all capable of it. I want them to know that I think that. And even some of the kids that I called on in that clip, one, some of them got the answer wrong. That's great. A chance for me to say, that's okay. Let's figure out what it actually is here. And then two, there are a few athletes that I called on that they pleasantly surprised me. They knew it. I'm like, okay, this is good. And it's just a, another great way to check for understanding. And this is not a perfect way, but to get a better sense of what do we actually know here? What are we struggling with? Where are they at? Because too often, two or three people dominate a discussion. 
that feel comfortable sharing in front of the group. And I want everyone to have a voice in it. Yeah, I love that. I thought that was really cool. And there's a moment where someone got the answer and there was a high five. And again, those really small things build people up. So the next time they're in front of video, they're actually not afraid to share an answer, even though there might be something that you need to tease out of them a little more. So yeah, really small things. I, I thought that was great. Brilliant. Gents, I want to thank you both. It's been fascinating for me. I hope for people listening as well. Just want to close by saying one of the things I wanted to do in this call was to share so many of your insights about developing athletes more effectively by showing them video. And I thought you did a beautiful job of that. And then also just to close by reflecting on how many other places video proliferates our society and is becoming a learning tool, right? It's a big part of my work, which is like showing teachers videos of themselves and asking them to study. And I think a lot of the principles that you've described here, directing people's attention, building a, like a psychologically safe environment to study, having a game model so we know what we're trying to accomplish. I think those things apply there. Darren, you were telling me the story about a corporate client in the food service industry. They've taken to videotaping their employees to develop them. And so video is everywhere. And I just think that these tools for maximizing learning and the insights that you guys bring to it are applicable. Yes, in the sports setting. Yes, in broader educational settings, even beyond school and the sports setting. So thanks to you both for your insight and wisdom today. And I'm sure folks will want to reach out to you and find out more. So we'll share in the show notes how to reach you guys. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Doug.